How confident are you in your caregiving? On today's show, I feature an interview with Alice, a caregiver for her husband for the last 34 years. Today's show is part one of two, sharing valuable insight and advice that I feel you will greatly benefit from on this show and the next. Stay with us. Hello, and welcome to the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. This podcast is produced for care partners and caregivers of loved ones with Parkinson's disease. This show is brought to you by Dr. Kloss's new book, You're a Better Parkinson's Disease Caregiver Than You Think. Please visit pbcaring.com for more information. I remember giving a talk to a group of patients and caregivers and telling the audience, if you've seen one patient with Parkinson's disease, then you've seen one patient with Parkinson's disease. My point was that although there are many similar symptoms among patients with Parkinson's disease, each individual has a different presentation of the illness, a different response to the treatment, and the progression varies from patient to patient. There's no way to predict how the disease and treatments will affect each individual patient and how the course of the illness will develop. With this reality, caregiving becomes more complicated. Caregivers often ask me, how can I know how to best care for my loved one? How do I stay ahead of each turn of this illness? Should I compare my caregiving situation to others when we are dealing with different struggles? Each family has a unique circumstance with a variety of outside help, ranging from no help whatsoever to lots of family and friends ready to jump in to help whenever you need it. There's no right way to handle each situation. There's no manual to caregiving for Parkinson's disease patients. The majority of caregivers are stumbling their way through it, hoping to be the best that they can be, feeling overwhelmed with questions and concerns, and feeling guilty about the decisions that they make. Where does the caregiver turn for help? If they reach out to help at the healthcare provider's office, or in a support group for Parkinson's disease patients, they often feel like this is a forum that's designed solely to help the patients and they feel uncomfortable raising concerns about their caregiving. Some caregivers struggle because they will have to decide how to handle situations in a certain way. And afterward, if the result was not what they were hoping for, the caregiver will second-guess themselves. They may change their approach. They become inconsistent, and this leads to more frustration, confusion, and it's difficult to be a confident caregiver in these difficult situations. I would like for you to listen in to an interview that I performed with Alice Alice has over 34 years of caregiving experience with her husband. 
She provides wonderful insight and advice as a caregiver who had to figure it out along the way and decide what was best for her family and for her husband. Today is the first part of a two-part interview. I know that you're going to enjoy the advice that she provides today. Alice, thank you so much for being the guest today on our PD Caring podcast. Um, Now that you um, are kind of looking back over all these years, um, and and I don't know how easy it is to remember uh, life um, prior to his diagnosis, really, it's been so long. But can you tell us a little bit about um, the journey, you know, from the beginning and and where you are now um, with him? We had been married about 13 years and had four children. Our one was a year old when Rodney started exhibiting uh, symptoms. It, because of his age, and at that time he was in his late 30s, because of his age, back then nobody really wanted to diagnose this Parkinson's. So it took five years for us to get a name for what was going on with him. Uh, It was almost a relief when we finally had a name for it, Uh, not really knowing what was going to lie ahead, but but it was a relief at that point. Um, Early days, it was getting him on the right medication, getting him on the right road. Um, Looking back, you know, those were easy days. I thought at the time they were horrible, but they were easy days. And through the years, any time that we thought it couldn't get any worse or I thought it couldn't get any worse, just wait a while and it got worse. I I hate to be negative in that regard, but, but that... That's the way Parkinson's is. And I found myself over the years, especially um, oh, after 20, 25 years of doing this, almost being envious of women whose husbands had cancer or some kind of terminal illness because I knew that there there was going to be an ending for them. It was either um, a, a cure and they would be okay or or they would lose their husband, one or the other. I felt like with Rodney, it just went on and on and on. And I think that's what makes Parkinson's such a difficult disease because it does just go on. Yeah. yeah. What, what was the first um, sort of caregiving that you needed to do for him? Uh, I know it took many, many years before he really required any direct assistance, but what were some of the first things that you had to take over or do to help him that you recall? You're requiring this old brain to think back a long time. Um, I think the first ones, uh, I was working for him at the time. He had his own business. And so if I needed off for the children or whatever, um, most of that time I actually stayed home with the children and just did um, office work um, at times. Um, but then when he, once we got a diagnosis, he was diagnosed, um, I needed to go back to work full time. So I had to find a job 
and that was um, hard to be away from our children for that long um, during the day. I also needed to start taking on all of the bill paying responsibilities. Rodney had always done all that, so then it just it just kind of was dumped on me to try to figure all this out, and it was just kind of gradual. The rest of the rest of the things just came gradually and and as his his health deteriorating then you'd add another responsibility on and another one and another one until there was really very little that he could do other than let the dogs in and out when <laughs> they needed to go outside. <laughs> so how so tell me when 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 he was still at home with you and and the caregiving needs were, were quite intense, um, you found ways to try to take a break or to get outside of the home and, and have a little space. Tell me more about that. What was that like and how did you get that respite help uh, to you know, spend some, some alone time here and there? Well, I'm not sure I had a lot of that. Um, I still worked, and even though I changed jobs throughout the years, and um, the job that actually I currently have is a part-time job, he got to the point when he was still home that he could no longer stay by himself, and we had to hire a caregiver to stay with him while I was at work. And so she was there for a specific amount of hours, and as soon as I got home, she was gone, and I was back the rest of the time 24-7. So I felt like I got very little respite time. Um, there was a couple of times when I was able to get off work early, and I would go to a parking lot at a mall and just sit there and just be still for a little bit and try to, to get a breath when I could before I had to go back and face um, my caregiving duties. There was, um, uh, you know, a, a few times when I would try to get away for the weekend. I've got, I'm very close to my siblings who live in different states. And a couple of times a year, we try to all get together for a sibling weekend. And just trying to find somebody to stay with Rodney so I could go do that was extremely difficult. And um, it's just a hard time finding somebody that was willing to stay with him that that full time and take on all the duties that I needed to do because it didn't stop when he went to bed. He was up a good portion of the night and he would have to have help using the restroom and and um, this medication was going south or whatever. I mean, I was up a lot even during the night. So I guess if you could say my respite was going to work, I guess that was my respite. <laughs> And so how, if you think back, um, I'm, I'm interested in uh, if you observe changes in Rodney's um, personality, um, his behaviors, or, or even you, what your relationship was like pre-diagnosis, then through those early years, and then comparing that to maybe how it was um, you know, later in the course. Did you see some changes in him? other than what physically was happening? A lot of changes, uh, especially early on when he started having symptoms, but we didn't have a name for what was going on. And um, 
before we found a wonderful neurologist named Dr. Claus. We were going from doctor to doctor trying to figure out what was going on. And this one would think it was this, and this one would think it was this. And and another one would send us to a psychiatrist and another, you know, it was just all over the board. And he was so frustrated and he was having trouble with his work, being able to concentrate and being able to do what he needed to do at work and and to take care of things there. And um, so he became very hard to live with, quite frankly. He was angry all the time. Um, Since I was the closest person to him, he took it out on me a lot. Um, I spent a lot of those five years in tears. And then once we finally got a name for his illness and that it wasn't in his head, well, I guess it is kind of in his head, it was an actual disease. And once we had that and he was on uh, medication and, and on the right road, then we could we still had some really good times. But over the years, as he was able to do less and less, he became um, a lot of times angrier and angrier and uh, harder to live with. And he also, because he was losing control in every part of his life, I think he tried to keep a harder control over what was going on at home. And so it was very difficult many times to to balance that out. Now, there were good times. I don't want to say that it was all horrible. There was a lot of good times in there, too. But um, there was a lot of really tough times with that. And over the years, um, you know, I changed, too. I had always been um, a, a little wife that, you know, took care of things at, at home and that sort of thing. And, and then I had to become an independent woman myself and, and to work and support my family and, and still take care of everything at home. So I, as I grew stronger and he grew physically weaker, he worked even harder to try to put a thumb on things at home. So that was difficult. And then as the, as the years changed, then I think as a caregiver, it became harder for me to, um, well, treat him like a husband. It was it was more a caregiver role. It, it was hard to think about being um, romantic or or intimate when I had just taken him to the bathroom and and pardon me, wiped his rear end. You know, it was just really hard. And over the years, a lot of that deteriorated, um, much to his chagrin. But, but it, it was very difficult. So, yes, our relationship changed tremendously through those years. It went from being a, uh, a partnership to caregiver, caregiving. <laughs> yeah. And so how did you handle the anger? How did you hang, handle the, the way he was maybe um, verbally treating you through those times? Uh, what's the best way to deal with, you know, someone who's you know, understandably angry about the changes and mm-hmm. what this illness is doing to them, but but not okay that they're taking it out on their loved one. Right. I wish I had some really good things to say about that and, and to advice to give. I think you just have to do what's best for you. And you just have to um, sometimes just walk away and remind yourself that, that it is a disease. Um, I have um, a great faith in God, and that helped me tremendously. And I have a great support system 
with um, my adult children, and they are are very supportive of me and and what I was going through, and they saw firsthand. Um, And then I've just got a good support group of friends, and lately God has put some amazing women in my path that are going through the same journey that I'm going through, and it really helps to be able to talk to another caregiver. Uh, it doesn't mean that other caregiver will have any of the answers. Sometimes it just takes another caregiver to talk to, to vent, and to know that you are not alone, that there's a lot of people in that same boat. And so through the years, did you feel quite alone before you develop those relationships? Because, you know, often in the office when patients will come in to see the doctor and the caregiver is with them, we we focus mainly on the, the patient and their needs and their symptoms, and we may not address the needs of the caregiver. And so did you feel over the years sort of isolated and alone in the journey? I, d- I did a lot of the time, um, you know, especially when my children were still at home. I didn't want to burden them, so I was trying to to uh, sh- shield them from how I was feeling. And I was going through a lot of depression because of what was happening um, in our home and in our relationship. Um, yeah, I felt a, a lot of isolation. So I guess my biggest advice to anybody that is is in this journey, that whether it's beginning it or has been in it for a while, is to find a support group, a group of people. And, you know, you, you hear people say all the time, well, you're the caregiver, you need to take care of yourself. Well, that's fine and dandy to say that, but when do you have time to take care of yourself? So sometimes it's as easy as, as you know, let me just text you some encouragement or get on the phone with somebody and that way you can both take care of your loved ones that you have to. But it's just that encouragement to know that somebody else knows what's going on. Do you have any um, strategies that you would look back now on and say, these were my coping strategies. These were my, this is what I pulled out at times. You know, I've heard caregivers say things like, I just go to my room and grab a pillow and scream as loud as I, I possibly could into the pillow so no one would hear me. But that was my way of venting. But did you have some strategies like that or how did you find moments of peace during the, the difficult times? Uh, actually, I think I did a lot of streaming in the pillow, too. Um, I took up gardening just for the reason that I could I could be still at home, but I could be outside and, and away from, you know, from the, the minute to minute. That helped a lot. Um, like I said, my faith in God helped a lot. I did a lot of praying, uh, still do, but, but especially through those years just to get me through. And... Um, and, you know, and then really just try to put myself in his place because that's hard. I knew what I was going through and how I felt and, and really felt sorry for myself a lot during that time. And I would forget just exactly what he was going through and how he was really giving up everything. And, um, you know, I still had my health. It was just I, I was a prisoner with him, but yet I could still walk around and I could still do and I could still think and I could still leave if I needed to. Were, were there um, activities or things that 
the two of you enjoyed doing when he was home that you kind of look back and think, boy, those were great memories, great times that we shared together um, that we were still able to do despite what this illness was doing to him. You know, um, times that we could kind of share, um, even if it was just sort of something very passive, not, not an active you know, activity per se, but, um, and and some families have talked about, well, we, we took some time to travel pre COVID, you know, and, 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 and do some things that we were not able to do prior to the diagnosis. Was was there anything like that that you can remember that was especially, um, well, my goodness. Um, it's been so long. We, we would love to go out to eat and we'd love, love going to movies and that was kind of our escape and then it got more and more difficult for Rodney to um, go out to movies Um, my family lived in another state and so we would try to go see my family um, you know several times a year but then that got harder and harder and quite frankly one of the the hardest things was we would be traveling by car and Rodney would need to use the rest and to find a store or a restaurant or any place that had a family restroom where I could go with him and help him was next to impossible. Even going to the movies, they don't, they, a lot of places didn't have family movies. And so he would go to the men's room and be gone for ever and ever. And I'd have to go find a, a male clerk to go in just to check on him to make sure that he was okay so I mean just just little things like that that you don't really think about when when you travel but when you travel with with um, somebody with Parkinson's or any kind of illness like that you know just just help like that going to a store to buy clothes you know I have to help him in the dressing room well most stores don't have a co-ed dressing room. I have a men's section and a women's section. So just a lot of little things like that became quite a challenge um, while he was still home. So to do the the normal things that we enjoyed doing became harder and harder just because of um, the way the facilities were set up. Yeah. You, you have such great um, experience and wisdom that you've developed over the years um, with this situation. But um, two questions. The first one I wanted to ask you, if you were in front of a a new couple or a a new family that just received this diagnosis of Parkinson's, um, for those early years, any advice you would give the the caregiver? uh, That's not really a caregiver at that point. Really, they're still, the patient's still very independent and, and they're not a caregiver at all. Maybe a care partner would be the best uh, term there. But any advice um, that you would give that person just over the, you know, the early years, it might be the first five or 10, 15 years of the illness. Um, Anything looking back that you would say, this is something I really want to encourage you to do or or share with you in preparation for what may, may be coming down the road? I would suggest a lot of education on the disease and what is going to be happening and what you could do early on to to stave it from, you know, keep keep it at bay. Um, 
Rodney was never much of an exerciser. And I'm understanding now in later years that that's one of the biggest things that you can do is to make sure that you stay active and keep your mind active and your body active, that sort of thing. So I think education on the disease and what to expect. And it's not just a physical disease. It's very much uh, emotional, mental, everything. And I don't know that I was prepared for a lot of those types of changes. So I, I would say education. Um, keep the lines of communication open. And when when something is bothering the patient or a new symptom or whatever, to really talk it through and try to understand what they're going through. I often said I, I wish for just five minutes I could feel what Rodney was feeling so that maybe I would have more sympathy what he was feeling. It's not like a broken arm where you can see a cast or an open wound or something where you can see something going on there. They they look all right, you know? And, and so after a while, that kind of... Um, um, wears on you and you think, well, why can't you do that? You know? And so I think keeping the line of communication open is very, very important. And like I wish I had already done early on was to find a support system um, of caregivers, even if it was just one or two that could just, when I had frustrations, tell me it was okay. I could, I could vent and they would know that I was, I wasn't insane and I wasn't about to throw my husband out the door or whatever, but, but that, that uh, I just needed to be able to vent. So I would say to somebody new, definitely get a support system, um, get your adult children on board. So they see from the first, any progressions of the disease, let them be educated on what the disease is going to do and understand all the different aspects of the disease, not just the physical that you can, that you can see. So that would be my suggestion. Wonderful. Wonderful advice. Join us for the next show. Part two of the interview with Alice, as she tells us about her difficult decision regarding nursing home placement and advice that she gives to the caregivers experiencing the same type of decision. Thank you for joining us on today's show. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. Head over to pdcaring.com for more resources. Please share this podcast with other fellow care partners and caregivers. Subscribe so you won't miss any shows.